Chapter 5 of A Confession by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Almer Maud. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. But perhaps I have overlooked something, or misunderstood something, I said to myself several times. It cannot be that this condition of despair is natural to man. And I sought for an explanation of these problems in all the branches of knowledge acquired by man. Not from idle curiosity or listlessly, but painfully and persistently, day and night, sought as a perishing man seeks for safety, and I found nothing. I sought in all the sciences, but far from finding what I wanted, became convinced that all who, like myself, had sought knowledge for the meaning of life had found nothing. And not only had they found nothing, but they had plainly acknowledged that the very thing which made me despair, namely the senselessness of all life, is the one indubitable thing that man cannot know. I sought everywhere, and thanks to a life spent in learning, and thanks also to my relations with the scholarly world, I had access to scientists and scholars in all branches of knowledge, and they readily showed me all their knowledge, not only in books but also in conversation, so that I had at my disposal all that science has to say on this question of life. I was long unable to believe that it gives no other reply to life's questions than that which it actually does give. It long seemed to me, when I saw the important and serious air with which science announces its conclusions which have nothing in common with the real questions of human life, that there was something I had not understood. I long was timid before science, and it seemed to me that the lack of conformity between the answers and my questions arose not by the fault of science, but from my own ignorance. But the matter was for me not a game or an amusement, but one of life and death, and I was involuntarily brought to the conviction that my questions were the only legitimate ones, forming the basis of all knowledge, and that I with my questions was not to blame, but science if it pretends to reply to those questions. My question, that which at the age of fifty brought me to the verge of suicide, was the simplest of questions, lying in the soul of every man from the foolish child to the wisest elder. It was a question without an answer to which one cannot live, as I had found by experience. It was, what will come of what I am doing today or shall do tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Differently expressed, the question is, why should I live? Why wish for anything, or do anything? It can also be expressed thus, is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? To this one question, variously expressed, I sought an answer in science, and I found that in relation to that question, all human knowledge is divided, as it were, into two opposite hemispheres, at the end of which there are two poles, the one, the negative, and the other, a positive but that neither at the one pole nor the other is the answer to life's questions. The one series of sciences seems not to recognize the question, but replies clearly and exactly to its own independent questions. This is a series of experimental sciences. At the extreme end of it stands mathematics. The other series of sciences recognizes the question, but does not answer it. That is a series of abstract sciences. At the extreme end of it stands metaphysics. From early youth I had been interested in the abstract sciences, but later the mathematical and natural sciences attracted me, and until I put my question definitely to myself, until that question itself had grown up within me urgently demanding a decision, I contented myself with those counterfeit answers which science gives. Now in the experimental sphere I said to myself, everything develops and differentiates itself, moving towards complexity and perfection, and there are laws directing this movement. You are part of a whole. Having learnt as far as possible the whole, and having learnt the law of evolution, you will understand also your place in the whole, and will know yourself. Ashamed as I am to confess it, 
There was a time when I seemed satisfied with that. It was just the time when I was myself becoming more complex and was developing. My muscles were growing and strengthening. My memory was being enriched. My capacity to think and understand was increasing. I was growing and developing. And feeling this growth in myself, it was natural for me to think that such was the universal law in which I should find the solution of the question of my life. But a time came when the growth within me ceased. I felt that I was not developing, but fading. My muscles were weakening, my teeth falling out, and I saw that the law not only did not explain anything to me, but that there had never been nor could be such a law, and that I had taken for a law what I had found in myself at a certain period in my life. I regarded the definition of that law more strictly, and it became clear to me that there could be no law of endless development. It became clear that to say, in infinite space and time, everything develops, becomes more perfect and more complex, is differentiated, is to say nothing at all. These are words with no meaning, for in the infinite there is neither complex nor simple, neither forward nor backward, nor better nor worse. Above all, my personal question, what am I with my desires, remained quite unanswered. And I understood that those sciences are very interesting and attractive, but that they are exact and clear in inverse proportion to their applicability to the question of life. The less their applicability to the question of life, the more exact and clear they are, while the more they try to reply to the question of life, the more obscure and unattractive they become. If one turns to the division of sciences which attempts to reply to the questions of life, to physiology, psychology, biology, sociology, one encounters an appalling poverty of thought, the greatest obscurity, a quite unjustifiable pretension to solve irrelevant questions, and a continual contradiction of each authority by others and even by himself. If one turns to the branches of science which are not concerned with the solution to the questions of life, but which reply to their own specific scientific questions, one is enraptured by the power of man's mind, but one knows in advance that they give no reply to life's questions. Those sciences simply ignore life's questions. They say, to the question of what you are and why you live, we have no reply, and are not occupied with that. But if you want to know the laws of light, of chemical compositions, of the laws of development of organisms, if you want to know the laws of bodies and their form, and the relation of numbers and quantities, if you want to know the laws of your mind, to all of that we have clear, exact, and unquestionable replies. In general, the relation of the experimental sciences to life's question may be expressed thus. Question. Why do I live? Answer. In infinite space, in infinite time, infinitely small particles change their forms in infinite complexity. And when you have understood the laws of these mutations of form, you will understand why you live on Earth. Then in the sphere of abstract science, I said to myself, all humanity lives and develops on the basis of spiritual principles and ideals which guide it. Those ideals are expressed in religions, in sciences, in arts, and in forms of government. Those ideals become more and more elevated, and humanity advances to the highest welfare. I am part of humanity, and therefore my vocation is to forward the recognition and the realization of the ideals of humanity. And at the time of my weak-mindedness, I was satisfied with that. But as soon as the question of life presented itself clearly to me, those theories immediately crumbled away. Not to speak of the unscrupulous obscurity with which those sciences announce conclusions formed on the study of a small part of mankind as general conclusions. Not to speak of the mutual contradictions of different adherents of this view as to what the ideals of humanity are. The strangeness, not to say stupidity, of the theory consists in the fact that in order to reply to the question facing each man, what am I, or why do I live, or what must I do, one must first decide the question, what is the life of the whole? 
which is to him unknown, and of which he is acquainted with one tiny part in one minute of time. To understand what he is, one man must first understand all this mysterious humanity, consisting of people such as himself, who do not understand one another. I have to confess that there was a time when I believed this. It was the time when I had my own favorite ideals justifying my own caprices, and I was trying to devise a theory which would allow one to consider my caprices as the laws of humanity. But as soon as the question of life arose in my soul in full clearness, that reply at once fell to dust. And I understood that as in the experimental sciences, there are real sciences and semi-sciences which try to give answers to questions beyond their competence. So in this sphere there is a whole series of the most diffuse sciences which try to reply to irrelevant questions. Semi-sciences of that kind, the juridical and social-historical, endeavor to solve the questions of man's life by pretending to decide each in its own way, the questions of the life of all humanity. But as in the sphere of man's experimental knowledge, one who sincerely inquires how he is to live cannot be satisfied with the reply, study in endless space the mutations, infinite in time and in complexity, of innumerable atoms, and then you will understand your life. So also a sincere man can't be satisfied with the reply, study the whole life of humanity, which we cannot either know the beginning or the end, or which we shall not even know a small part, and then you will understand your own life. And like the experimental semi-sciences, so these other semi-sciences are the more filled with obscurities, inexactitudes, stupidities, and contradictions the further they diverge from the real problems. The problem of experimental science is the sequence of cause and effect in material phenomena. It is only necessary for experimental science to introduce the question of a final cause for it to become nonsensical. The problem of abstract science is the recognition of the primordial essence of life. It is only necessary to introduce the investigation of consequential phenomena, such as the social and historical phenomena, and it also becomes nonsensical. Experimental science only then gives positive knowledge and displays the greatness of the human mind when it does not introduce into its investigations the questions of the ultimate cause. And on the contrary, abstract science is only then science and displays the greatness of the human mind when it can put quite aside the questions relating to the consequential causes of phenomena and regards man solely in relation to the ultimate cause. Such in this realm of science, forming the pole of the sphere, is metaphysics or philosophy. That science states the question clearly. What am I and what is the universe? And why do I exist and why does the universe exist? And since it has existed, it is always replied in the same way. Whether the philosopher calls the essence of life existing within me, and all that exists by the name of idea or substance or spirit or will, he says one and the same thing, that this essence exists and that I am of the same essence, but why it is he does not know and does not say. If he is an exact thinker, I ask, why should this essence exist? What results from the fact that it is and will be? And philosophy not merely does not reply, but is itself only asking that question. And if it is real philosophy, all its labor lies in merely trying to put that question clearly. And if it keeps firmly to its task, it cannot reply to that question otherwise than thus. What am I and what is the universe? All in all, nothing. And to the question, why? By I don't know. So that however I may turn these replies to philosophy, I can never obtain anything like an answer. And not because, as in the clear experimental sphere, the reply does not relate to my question, but because here, though all the mental work is directed just to my question, there is no answer. But instead of an answer, one gets the same question, only in a complex form. End of chapter 5